And you all get to enjoy a lovely sermon from me today. So buckle up. It's going to be fun. <laughs> uh, the other day I heard this funny story as I was preparing for this sermon, and uh, it was about a man who, when he was hiking, he slipped and fell off of a cliff. Uh, luckily, on his way down, he grabbed, he grabbed onto a tree branch, and uh, looking down at the ground, he saw 15,000 feet below him rocks. It was just a, a rock valley below him. When he looked up, it was only about 20 feet uh, from where he had fallen. Panicked, he yelled, help, help, is anybody there, help? And a booming voice spoke up, I am here, and I will save you if you believe in me. I believe, I believe, yelled back the man. If you believe in me, let go of the branch, then I will save you. The young man, hearing the, the voice, he looked down, and as he looked down, he saw the rock valley below him, and quickly he looked back up and said, is anybody else up there? <laughs> That's exactly what I would yell. I am not going to listen to that voice. But anyway, the scripture reading for this morning uh, comes from Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. Listen to the word of the Lord. Immediately... Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. After Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, Jesus was there alone, but by this time the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the, the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, Peter became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Gracious God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word today. We think of the violence in the world and the brokenness uh, in our own lives, and uh, we remember you, uh, the God who comes to us in our storm, the God who walks to us over our pain and brokenness. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Charles Blondin's greatest fame came September 14th, 1860, when he became the first person to cross a tightrope stretched 11,000 feet, that's about a quarter mile, across the mighty Niagara Falls. 
And now people uh, at that time came from Canada and America to come uh, from miles away to watch this great event. He walked across 160 feet above the falls several times, each time with a different daring trick. One time in a sack, the next time on stilts, on a bicycle, in the dark, and even blindfolded. One time he even carried a stove and cooked an omelet in the middle of the rope. Now that's impressive, or he's just showing off. I don't know which one. The crowd oohed and awed as Blondin carefully walked each dangerous step across the falls, this time pushing a wheelbarrow with a sack of potatoes in it. Then at one point, he asked for the participation of a volunteer. He said, do you believe I can carry a person across in this wheelbarrow? The crowd enthusiastically yelled, yes, you are the greatest tightrope walker in the world. You can do anything. We believe you. We have faith in you. Blondin said, okay, who would like to jump into the wheelbarrow? The crowd remained silent <laughs> because they were terrified. And now just a, a raise of hands, how many would jump into that wheelbarrow here? Okay, we got one, maybe, maybe a few others, few others. I think you guys are crazy. Yeah, they're all the teenagers. Uh, I would not. I definitely would not. I like to stay uh, as close to, like, being on the stage is making me scared. Uh, I'm a little frightened of heights. Uh, I do not like to flirt with the edge. Uh, but this is what we call a leap of faith, isn't it? We, when you get into the wheelbarrow, you have to give up control. You no longer have the control that you normally do of your life. And this is frightening, because we now have to trust Blondin, this goofy guy with our life. What if you didn't have control? There's a theologian who speaks of life in three different stages. The first stage is the aesthetic life, or the, the routine of pleasure and desire. You move from one desire to the next. The next routine is the ethical stage, uh, the stage where you're more concerned about others than yourself. And then the third stage is the religious stage, the stage that's dedicated to obedience to God. And so let me flesh this out a little bit more for us. So the aesthetic stage is, it's all based on selfish gain. When you're hungry, you eat. When you're tired, you sleep. When you're bored, you find some form of entertainment. And so you're constantly in this routine of you, you, you. It's all about me, 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 and trying to figure out what I can do next. Uh, however, there's consequences with this type of life, right? For example, you know that new pair of shoes that you wanted? The ones that cost way too much, and you, you got them at the store anyways? You wore them for about a week, and then a month goes by, and now you forgot you even had them. We move, sooner or later, we move from one pleasure to the next in this stage of life. But the ethical person, the ethical person is different. Uh, they think of others more than about themselves. They take responsibility for their wrong actions. Uh, they are in routines of helping, helping the poor, helping out on uh, weekends with community service. Uh, they are also a stand-up citizen in society. Uh, they obey the laws. But this is still not the top of the ladder. And so there's a final stage, the religious stage. 
And so a person in the religious stage may uh, fall into routines of going to church on Sundays. They may read their Bible. They may pray often. And so these are the routines that they find themselves in. However, we must not identify doing Christian things with the religious stage. It is important to remember that not to, uh, not to mistake routines with the Christian faith. Faith is not a routine. And there's a short, uh, so which routine do you follow? Which routine do you find yourself in most often? Chances are, we're in most of these routines all the time. We're not just in one. And now don't get me wrong, finding happiness in life and being uh, an ethical and um, caring for others more than yourself are great things, and that's part of the Christian life. But the trick for the Christian is that they are called to live a life of faith, and faith is not a routine. There's a short story that kind of sums this point up quite well. One day, one, one Sunday morning in Duckland, all the ducks dutifully came to church like a good duck does, waddling through the doors down the aisles to their pews where they comfortably squatted. When all were situated and the hymns were sung, the duck minister waddled up to the pulpit, opened up the duck Bible, and read, Ducks, ye have wings. And with wings ye can fly like the eagles, ye can soar into the sky. Use thy wings, ducks. It was a marvelous, elevating duck scripture, and thus all the ducks quacked their approval with a hearty amen. And then they plopped down from their pews and waddled home. They plopped down from their pews and waddled home. Didn't even listen to the duck minister. What a great sermon, too. We are creatures of habit. We wake up. Some of us eat the same breakfast every morning. We go to work. We watch the same TV shows. We sit in the same couch. We go to bed at the same time, and we do it all over again. Doing something new always feels awkward, and it feels weird at first. And so we choose to do what we know, what we know best. And let's face it, if we waddle everywhere we go, and someone tells us we're going to fly, chances are we're still going to waddle. The great American writer and theologian Frederick Buechner tells us, faith is not being sure where you're going, but going anyway. A journey without maps. Faith is not being certain where you are going, but going anyway. It is a journey without maps. So achieving the religious stage takes a leap of faith. When we leap out of a routine that we know very well into a life we do not know, that is frightening. Yes, the leap of faith is scary because we no longer have control. When characters in the Bible make this leap of faith, the story is always frightening. Remember Abraham called to sacrifice Isaac by faith? That is scary. Don't forget the Israelites when they traveled with Moses in the wilderness for 40 years on faith. And how could we forget the disciples when Jesus asked them to come and follow him when they didn't even know Jesus at that time? 
or to go to the Gentile community, or to bear their cross, or to preach the good news. All of these things are asked to be done in faith. And so God takes his people to the edge and asks them to trust him, to trust God and not themselves. God breaks into our life of routine and agenda and calls us to live a life of faith. Yet here's the good news, right? We do not leap alone, like hopping into the wheelbarrow, letting Blondin move us to the other side. Faith is done in twos. Jesus walks on the water toward our storm. Jesus walks over fear, pain, and brokenness with the rising sun on the horizon. This leap is done in twos. Peter walks on water, and then he starts to sink, but Jesus grabs him at the nick of time. This leap is done in twos. Faith dares to get dirty with this world, walking in the suffering of others in hope of new life. Like Jesus, we walk towards other storms, not away from them, but we walk toward them. We get ourselves entangled in the brokenness of others. But this faith, it takes a leap. This, this takes a breaking out of our routines. When I was in high school, my church made it a tradition every spring break to go down to Mexicali, Mexico to serve on a mission trip. We went with a mission organization and they paired us with a church uh, called Rio de Vida Iglesia. Like my Spanish? No? River of Life Church. Uh, before the trip, we spent a few months uh, going over some VBS programs for the children at the church. And after one day or so of VBS, uh, the, we have two high school girls in our church, and they started to take a bunch of children behind back, um, the, around back of the church. Curious what was going on, the youth pastor uh, went, went back there to see what was happening, and he was pleasantly surprised the girls had taken a church hose and some shampoo and one by one had started to wash the hair of these children because it was just infected with lice. When asked whether or not these girls wanted gloves so that they didn't get their hands dirty, the two girls replied, no, we do not want these kids to think we are grossed out by touching them. No, we do not want these kids to think we are grossed out by touching them. And so these two high school girls continued to wash the children's hair as lice was crawling every which way. Did you see it? Faith gets dirty. It gets dirty a lot. Faith's task is to listen to where God is calling you. Faith's task is to drop what we have planned and to go follow, follow God. And the difficulty is that when you follow Jesus, you don't really see the future. You don't see what's coming next. You don't see how it's going to pan out. But St. Augustine tells us, faith is to believe what you do not see. The reward of this faith is to see what you believe. Although these girls knew how gross it was, they chose to see otherwise. 
Although they knew they might get lice, they chose to believe otherwise. Although this was not on the schedule, they believed God had another schedule for them. What would it mean for you to take a leap of faith? What would it mean for you to take a leap of faith? There are various ways God can be calling you to take a leap of faith. Uh, perhaps God is calling you to be a, a youth volunteer with the high school or middle school groups uh, here at Church of the Palms. Maybe taking a leap means becoming a Stephen minister, and I know Mingy Brown has been poking a few of you to do that. Perhaps it means helping out with the food pantry uh, a few days uh, during the week. Or maybe it means helping out at the resurrection house in town. Faith, it lets go. Let's go of control and it listens to where God is calling you. And then it asks you to follow. Unfortunately, this is my last Sunday as the intern. And uh, it's kind of sad for me because I'm going to miss Church of the Palms. Uh, but I wanted to say thank you to Church of the Palms and to all of you who have been uh, so gracious to me, listening to my sermons and uh, walking me through what it means to, to do ministry. Uh, and I, it, in a weird way, being at Church of the Palms has been a, a way of me jumping out of my routine, out of my normal agenda, and um, stepping out in a leap of faith. I remember when Mingy Brown sent me on my first hospital visit alone, and I never, with congregational care, and I never thought anything good would come of it, especially an introverted guy like me. I, I just didn't know what to say, let alone what to do. But I learned having faith, taking a leap of faith, sometimes looks like sitting at someone's bedside and listening, asking questions caring for them. And Lori Haas also did the same thing when she asked me to prepare a children's chapel for three to five-year-olds. I learned that although I don't hang out with three to five-year-olds at all, and I don't know how to entertain them, I learned that sometimes stepping out in faith means you put on a chapel, and then at the end of it, these little kids all came up to me and gave me a big hug. And I had to get down on both my knees just to be eye level with them. But these were leaps of faith because it was steps out of my normal routine, out of the, the, the life that I knew. And so I wanted to ask us, what does it mean for you to take a leap of faith? Let's pray. Father of the Son and the Spirit, God, you call us, you call us to take leaps of faith. And some of us, we are not ready for that, and that frightens us. But God, I just ask that you would give us the courage and the strength to walk and to go where you go, to love the people that you love, and to give us the ability to walk into the storm of others. And Lord, we thank you so much that you have blessed us and given us um, today. And Lord, we thank you. Amen.
Amen. Thank you, Kevin. Why don't you stand with us if you are able to do that uh, as we ponder a pretty important question that Kevin has left us with today. My 